Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I am Sarah McDoling, the Children's Book and YA Category Manager at Booktopia. And I am kind of beside myself with excitement to be talking to the amazing Cressida Cow. Cressida, thanks for coming. Hello. I'm so <laughs> happy to be, to be talking to you too. Ah, oh, it's, um, I've been such a huge fan of yours for such a long time and never really thought that I would get to talk to you. So um, let's see if I can get through my nerves and um, <laughs> ask you to just introduce um, the podcast listeners to Never and Forever Book 4 in your Wizards of Once series. Yes, I'm Cressida Cowell and I am the writer and the illustrator of the Hash Train Your Dragon books and the Wizards Once series. And I'm also the UK's current Orson's Children's Laureate. Um, and Wizards of Once, and Never and Forever is the fourth in the series, and it's the last. Um, it was meant to be. Um, it was meant to be a trio of books. It was meant to be three. Actually, I can't remember what the word trilogy. That's it. <laughs> it's meant to be a trilogy, but actually, it's turned out to be a quartet. And it. This really is the last in the series. So, um, it's so it's a pretty exciting book <laughs> because um, because in it. Um, there's a big fight between the witches, the witches who are trying to get hold. There's two heroes, um, Wish and Czar, and they've been trying to get um, a spell to get rid of witches. Uh, in the meantime, Czar has unfortunately got a witch stain on his hand, which is taking him <laughs> to the dark side. And Wish has got this magic that the witches, witches really want to get hold of, which is magic that works on iron. Yeah. And, um, and if the witches get hold of that magic, they'll be invincible because uh, they'll be able to fight back against the iron warriors because um, uh, magic isn't supposed to work on iron. So the stakes are very high. I've, I've, I've put the stakes in this big world. Um, <laughs> it's very hard. There's a big fight um, with the witches and it's whether or not wishes are, are going to be able to defeat them. And it, in, in this book, I do say at the beginning, somebody is going to die at the beginning. <gasps> I know. Oh my goodness. I hope it's Because the stakes, so the stakes are quite high. Um, but uh, I, I, yeah, and squeeze juice, I put him in terrible trouble. Who's the tweet about <laughs> Harry Fairy? Anyway, um, but um, so that, that's, that's what the books are about. And it also tells you one of the things that children have been most interested in, uh, somebody is narrating this story and you don't know who they are. And this book finally tells you. It does, it's revealed for real. Yes. Oh my God. Children and, and adults actually. <laughs> <laughs> adults, I keep, I, I, I've been going to the doctor and the doctor has been saying to me, so who is the narrator? <laughs> The adults asking me as well. Um, so you finally find out who, who the Oh, that's is. huge. I can't that's wait. So, it's a, so it's a, there's a lot in this book. Um, uh, at, at what point when you were writing did you realise it was not going to be a trilogy and that it was going to be a quartet? Um, like at um, what point in the series did you sort of start getting an inkling that it wasn't going to all fit in <laughs> to three books? It, um, it was about book two. Um, I I just, I, 
I knew it wasn't going to be 12 because How to Train Your Dragon was 12 books. <laughs> because but that was a, a hero going on a journey without realizing it. And I already, it, this already had a very dynamic story arc. You know, hmm. uh, you know we had to find out um, whether or not, um, you know, Zara and Wish were going to be able to bring their parents together. That's another, that's another plot point. Um, whether he, they could defeat the witches and, and also who the narrator is. And it, it, it would have felt too cheesy to go beyond three or four, I think, because that's mm -hmm. quite a, um, so, because children are growing up on you. Of course they are, you know. So for, for a child, you know, they might start writing, reading these books when they're eight and then they're, you know, reading the last one when they're 12. So that's, you know, it would have been felt too cheesy to make it any longer. But what, something happened in book two, which is that my father died. My father died, and that was a so in book two. There's a whole thing about the giant's last breath, and, and I think that that meant in order to because I put a lot of personal stuff in my books, the the series had to get a bit bigger in order to contain that. Um, mm. And there's a lot in in the book about you know hearts reforming and and rebuilding, and how you know loss, you know you can lose things, but then put them together again of course children don't always pick up on this for, the, for them children it can just be a sort of moving story about battles and um but you know there are some deeper themes in there and i was i always like to um provide wisdom for children ways of dealing with yeah. things and so the series had to get bigger for for that reason and and also that just there was a lot of plot, <laughs> a lot of characters, and, and it felt it needed that air, if you know what I mean. Uh, having another book um, for that reason. Well, I mean, I'm I'm now even more desperate to read this book <laughs> than I was before. But I'm also a little bit heartbroken that it won't be twelve books. <laughs> um, I know. <laughs> what well, you say? Yes, I know, and and. I can see that as well because you, because oh, I feel it. I feel it. I I start writing a world and I fall in love with the world and they the characters feel real to me. Hiccup and and you know fish legs. They all feel real to me. Um, and the same, I, I the same with Wizards of Once. When I started writing it, I thought, how can I ever create a world that I loved as much as that to train your track? And it was a bit. Um, but then you start writing it and you start falling in love with that. So I understand yeah. how it is for a reader as well. But so I haven't ruled back going back into, ruled out going back into that world and writing another story set in that world. It was just that I felt that that particular story had to come to an end. You know, we <laughs> had to know the answers to whether they'd defeat the witches or whether, you know, Zara would get rid of his witch stain or, and who the narrator was. Yeah. I felt we had to, but... I could go back into that world and write another story set in that world because it's a fantastic, and I don't want to give you any spoilers, but there's a big surprise at the end of this book, a huge surprise that um, I don't, I can't even, I can't say what the surprise is um, because, it, um, but, but you can see how that would lead to a completely different, the beginning of a totally uh. different, Upset in that world. Unfortunately, I can't. I can't. You're kind of killing me a bit. I, I, you got to read the book. My anticipation can't go higher. You got to read the book. You got to read the book. So, so yeah. So I haven't ruled out going back into that world.
it's a really that's fun amazing. I mean what kid or adult doesn't secretly wish that they had a magical power <laughs> I mean <laughs> writing about people who have magical powers and you know bronze ages and it's just mm. such a fantastically rich world to write about so I haven't ruled out you know going back into that's it. very exciting to hear I don't I mean we usually wait until towards the end of the podcast to ask what's what's up next for the author but this question I want to ask you kind of ties into that question so um, I wanted to ask what it was like for you um, at the beginning of this series after 12 books with How to Train Your Dragon and and what it was like to kind of tackle a new world and you know and then this is where it ties into the what's up next for you um, are you at that spot again now that you're at the end of the semi-end or potential end of this series are you in that spot of like creating something new again yet yes <laughs> yes i am Ooh. and it's, <laughs> it's 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 really interesting it's it's simultaneously it's hugely satisfying to get to the end of a series i mean how to train your dragon 12 books so many years i mean i wrote the first how to train your dragon in 2003 you know i had little children oh my goodness it was really could have been how to train your dragon really could have been how to train your baby because i just <laughs> had i just had a baby <laughs> um and and when i wrote the last how to train your dragon this is what i'm saying a lot of autobiography goes into my books so it, how to train your dragon it was all about being a parent, how to train your baby and how to be a parent, really. I'm, I'm thinking about those things. Because um, Hiccup is sort of a parent to Toothless and Stoic is obviously a parent to, to Hiccup. And I'm working out how, what kind of a parent do I want to be, you know. Yeah. And, um, but I'm also kind of trying to tell a story from a child's point of view of, of how they, it's about growing up. You know, all my books are about growing up. You know, what kind of an adult do they want to be? And um, so... Uh, so it was very emotional for me ending that book, uh, uh, The Last How to Train Your Dragon, because um, it started when I had a baby, just had a baby, and ended with my baby leaving home. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. What a journey. Was a very, it was a big journey. And, and it's so very satisfying because you've, you've I'd written the ending so ahead. Um, and it is the same with Wizards of Once, <laughs> I thought. I thought, as I mentioned earlier, how am I going to create a world that I fall in love with as much as House Training Dragon? And that was a big anxiety with Wizards Once. But then you see, it's a bit like having another baby. You know, when you have a second baby, you think, how am I going to love it as much as the first? But and you, you do. do. I did. <laughs> and so I feel slightly less anxious than I did the first time round. Because the first time around, there was a lot of anxiety. Oh my goodness, can I find another world and characters that I mind about? Because I think with a book, you know, if if you've if other other people are going to fall in love with it, you have to put so much of yourself into it, emotionally as well as um, as well as writing a great plot and an exciting you know something that children really want to read. You have to. So you really have to fall in love with those characters in that world. Um, so I feel a bit, I feel satisfaction that I think, I think, anyway, it may sound very conceited, I think it's a brilliant ending. 
<laughs> sorry, sorry. Sorry. Uh, so it's the once, never, and forever. Uh, so I'm really satisfied about that and excited for people to find out who the narrator is. And but also, yeah, I am beginning to think about that new world. And there's a bit of anxiety, like you start anything new, like yeah. children starting new school, or you know, it's exciting, but it's also, oh my goodness, a bit scary. <laughs> so I'm at that stage. That's the stage I'm at right now. Oh, that's exciting. I'm doing loads of publicity for Wizards Once Never and Forever. So it's a bit crazy. When I'm not doing that, I'm running into the shed and trying to the new world. Speaking of your shed, um yes. I, I would love to know a bit of your I love hearing about uh writers' writing process because I feel like you so often hear these great stories of little idiosyncrasies that authors have and how they prefer to write or when they prefer to write or um, what their habits are. And you mentioned tantalisingly before we started recording that you have... Um, so that's where the magic happens. Magic happens. I mean, I, I, I live in London and uh, in the, in the centre of the city. Um, but, but we have a small garden and uh and my I, I would like to say this actually all happened by accident i had little children and i was making a big mess in the house <laughs> and my husband's quite a tidy person and i'm quite an untidy person so he it was his idea the shed was actually his idea i didn't think because i know quite, actually quite a lot of writers have sheds and i can see why now um, but, so that was really the reason was that I was making too much mess in the house. But actually, it was it was such it was one of the best things that happened. So it was a bit like it was an accident, but like all, a lot of good things. But um, but it was just great because I had these little children, and little children obviously, you know, if you have, they always want to be with you. But so it was a separation. It was a very short walk to the bottom of my garden, you know that doing her work so it was easier for them as well interrupted by the phone or the internet and um and suddenly and at the bottom of this garden even though it's in london it's i'm surrounded by green it's almost like i'm just completely surrounded by trees and, and just yeah we um and so it feels i'm in my own world there and so that's very and i put up lots of pictures of maps and the places that inspired how to train dragon and wizards once which are mostly, interestingly, come town places. So, so it, that's been so important that having that little, and it's it's small, absolutely where the magic happens. Um, and because so often, in, and for me, because I had little children, I had to be very, I had to be, I couldn't just wait for strike <laughs> because that's not really, you know off to school and you just have to write you know that you had this time you had that yeah. nine to nine to when they got out of school so, so i've had to be quite disciplined um so having the shed has been fantastic brought to by the telephone or yeah was you started writing the, the how to train your dragon series when your kids were little and then um, finished, what year was it that it finished? Was it 2018 so, was the last year? Yes, 
okay. So 2003, when the first one came out, but I'd been writing them for longer than that because the first mm -hmm. one I didn't take. Um, so 2003, I think the last one was about 2018. Yeah, 2007, 50, 2015. 15, oh goodness, gosh. It feels okay. like yesterday. <laughs> 2015 yeah that was the last one and then I think so that would mean at yeah. some golden point there your kids would have been coinciding with your readership age right for a few years there they would have been uh, absolutely yeah and I to them although Maisie the eldest was a baby when I started writing how to train your dragon mm -hmm there was always a moment when I was reading it with them and my youngest Sani always insisted on on speaking the voice of toothless <laughs> so I would read everything else because I write the books to be read aloud that's the other thing I because yeah. getting children to read is so important and there's so um for the joy of it I'm all about reading for the joy of it um yeah. Uh, so and reading and children are often so smart, but they're smarter than their reading ability allows them to access often. Whereas films and telly are just beamed in magically. So mm -hmm. um, you, you know they're often so clever, but it's very frustrating for them because they're for the stories that they can actually read. You sort of mean they get that you know. So even if they don't have a, a learning difficulty like dyslexia, which I'm, you know, I'm so sympathetic to children who are dyslexic. Um, so that's why I write them to be read aloud, you know, so that, so that, and it's, you know, it's also, if they're read aloud by a parent, you know, that's that, the, the parent and the child are enjoying it together. So I read aloud them to, to, to my children and Sandy put on the voice of Toothless. And so that was really lovely because you, oh you get the direct response, you know, you could see whether they're laughing at, at the jokes that you made or, or, and I felt really guilty when I made him cry. You know, books, I like books that make you laugh and make you cry and make you think. And I feel really bad. <laughs> oh dear. Um, but I've moved him, you know, and um, as I said earlier, you, you, you know, the world you know, can sometimes be sad, but I try and give children the tools to deal with that. You know, yeah. to deal with, you know, sadness. I try and, you know, I, um, give them wisdom, you know. So it was lovely reading it with them. And Wizards of Once, oh, when I started writing Wizards of Once, Zanny was my youngest son. His name starts with an X, like Zars. And yes. Zar and Wish were 13, and he was 13. Ah, oh, that's so good. So, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of personal stuff that goes in um, without you even realising. I'm struck by that actually because listening to you talk um, about wanting to, you know, infuse the book with wisdom and having, you know, not just adventure but also like rich emotions, happiness and wonder and also, you know, yeah. a bit of sadness and stuff. Um, that is what I think makes people love your books. Um, and. And I think that's so important in children's books. And I, it's not, you know, it just as all things, it's not always the case that you find it. Um, but I, this is a roundabout question. But <laughs> I wanted to know: Do people often ask you why you write for kids? Because I find 
my job is working with kids books and mm -hmm. often people will say to me oh you know do you ever get bored of the kids books and want to do something else and I just I find that question baffling because to me I wouldn't want to do this job in any other category I find kids books so vital and inspiring and it just makes my job so fun that it's always about kids books so I guess I wanted to I guess in a roundabout way I'm asking you why you write for children but I'm also asking why do you think that do you get asked that a lot and do you find it as baffling as I do like why don't people ask adult writers why they haven't written for children <laughs> do you know what I mean yes yeah yes I think that's so interesting yeah I mean it's so absolutely you because I'm trying to to teach children to be resilient so that's why I put um the emotions in and to I think it's really interesting how how people ask that question I think it's partly because often we don't <laughs> we don't value children enough or we underestimate them <laughs> yeah I think so too <laughs> because, <laughs> because what I find in writing for children is that children are interested in the truly important things in life and sometimes as adults we can we can lose that sense um so so children are interested there's nothing that you can't write about for children that you know they're interested in heroism they're interested in what kind of a hero you should be what's your responsibility to your uh, to your tribe they're interested in mm. you know I'm, I'm writing about bullying i'm writing about politics actually <laughs> i'm writing about yes what kind of a leader do we want hiccup to be or czar yeah. to be or, or and what what kind of a leader does do those tribes deserve, you know, um, wishes, you know, wishes mother Sikrax um, is leading the tribe in a difficult direction in the wrong. You know, so these are complex grown up themes for children, you know, so children, you don't need to dumb down for children. And sometimes they have a stronger sense of, of the important things than adults do, as I say. Um, so and that's a theme in my books. <laughs> How much how much the adults have to learn from children's instinctive understanding the important things are looking after each other and looking after the planet i mean i go and give talks you know one of the big themes in how to train dragon and wizards of once is environment looking after the environment and i go in into schools and i say so who is currently leading the the world in thinking about um, our responsibility the plant to the planet is it an adult or is it a child and they all put their arms and they say Greta Thunberg yeah. and it is <laughs> it's Greta Thunberg yeah now these are so I, from being a mother I have learned I have learned a lot from being a mother from my own children mm. you know what they consider to be important um, you know love family yeah looking after the world so i think that that's that's one of the reasons that i write for children um and um i'm not actually just writing for children because i've told you how i write for the books to be read aloud um so some books are just written just for children and that's there's a real place for that as well because mm. children need to learn to you know read for the joy of it uh, and my children learnt to read on some books that I wasn't reading it to them. They were on their own. With, with some of <laughs> uh, but there was a real place for those books because they, you know, the children love them. But um, 
uh, I write these books to be read aloud, so I am writing for an adult audience as well. And I get a lot of, you know, because I'm wanting parents or teachers to be reading aloud um, to their kids. Um, so I write them to work on two levels, a bit like the movies work on two levels. You know, like how Strange Dragon movies are deliberately because you can't send a kid into a into a movie on their own. You've got it, the adults are always there. So, yeah, my books are written to be enjoyed on two levels. So I'm definitely writing for an adult audience as well. And there's a, there's an adult story in Wizards of Once as well. You know, Sycorax and Encanto have to decide what kind of parents they want to be, and what kind of you know. So and there's a sort of love story between them as well, which adults are so. I am writing for adults as well. So that's two answers. The third answer is <laughs> <laughs> that I think it is absolutely crucial that we get kids reading. Mm. I love films and television, and I love particularly the films that have been made out of my books. Um, and, you know, I watch loads of films and telly myself, but books are something special and they are a medium we cannot lose we have to fight to keep and i guess it's the words you know films and telly are wonderful mediums but they they you know they're not you know they're, they're visual mediums they're beautiful music i mean it's a, mm. with a book you have um, words and words are the pathway of thought the more words a kid has the more intelligent and more creative their thoughts can be and we're going to need, and empathy, that's another thing that books are very good mm. at, you know. A film happens out there, in a book it's like it's happening inside your head. You are that person, so it's great at creating. We need children of the future to be more intelligent, more creative, and more empathetic than ever. So books are a medium we cannot lose. So I'm, so I'm partly writing for the joy of story, story making, and you know, in words and pictures, but I'm also writing, writing because I need books to survive. We all need books to survive. Um, and they are, you know, under a lot of pressure. So I think what we're doing is incredibly important. Everybody in the book world, all that we're doing, that's one of the other marvelous things about writing for the children's book world is that everybody is fighting for this thing that we know is precious. Teachers, librarians, booksellers, not just authors and illustrators, you know, publicists, everybody is fighting for this thing that we know in our heart of hearts is really precious and we cannot lose. Yeah. I feel like applauding after that <laughs> wonderful answer. My heart is soaring. This is the feeling right. I get reading your books. I just, I, that was such an amazing answer. Thank you so much. Oh, Absolute pleasure. It's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Why you're doing did, what you're doing. <laughs> did you always know that you wanted to be an author? Like if you could go back in time to young Cressida and say, mm. guess what? I become a beloved international bestselling author. Would she have been shocked by that? Or <laughs> yes. uh, would she have been like, that sounds about right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. I just don't know what I would have made of that. Because... Um, <laughs> because I, 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 was a I, I, I was a child who made up stories the whole time. I made up um, stories. I was very imaginative. I was very dreamy, read constantly. Um, but I had terribly messy handwriting 
and I was profoundly disorganized. Um, <laughs> and so I was in trouble a lot the whole time at school. Um, and although I didn't have an actual, I didn't have dyslexia, I, um, I really empathized because I was in trouble so much because of my disorganization, my messy handwriting, all of this kind of thing. So I think some way, you know, children, it's so easy for them to this, think this. They think, oh, being a writer is about the neat handwriting, about the spelling, about all of those kind of things. And so I go a lot into school saying, actually, at the end of the day, it's about your ideas. You know, and I don't want a kid who, like me, I think, you know, somewhere I thought, well, I would, won't be a writer because <laughs> I'm, I'm not, you know, tidy enough. My handwriting's too messy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you think that that's children wouldn't, wouldn't, you know, would, would, would know. It's not, you know, but you have to, you know, children think things without you realizing they, they compare themselves all, all the time to other children in the class with neater handwriting or, or kind of um, who read more quickly it's not a race i keep going into schools and saying it's not a race so i think i'd have been surprised on that count and and also i suppose um i i didn't um i because i was in trouble a lot i i did suffer with confidence you know at school you know so i didn't i would have been very surprised to see, <laughs> see myself doing so um and, and also I had a, I, my own father was very successful in a different kind of a way. And that, you know, he was a businessman and he was an environmentalist and, and, and it's, it's tricky for children growing up with a very successful parent um, so in, a, in another field, because you sort of think that that's what you ought to be doing. You ought to be a business person. I thought that that's yeah. what people ought to be or, um, and I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't see myself being that at all. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a confidence building thing. And they put a lot of that into hiccup. You know, I wasn't at all like my father. My skill set was very different. You know, there was nobody in my family who was a, a writer. I mean, they were all business people or politicians or, you know, things like that. Um, so I, I put a lot of that into hiccup. You know, he has to find his own way. He's got his own skills. You know, he's, he's creative. You know, he's an inventor, whereas his father is very much more about, you know, the, the old fashioned idea of what a leader is. Um, so, I, yeah, I'd have been surprised. <laughs> but isn't that lovely? <laughs> isn't it lovely? Yeah. yeah. That, um, that, that, that can happen. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you said you read a lot um, as a child. I, I'm going to ask you a question that I actually hate when people ask me this. So if you don't want to okay. answer it, just say pause. No, no. Because I feel like whenever someone asks me like this, every book I've ever read flies out of my head and I can't remember anything. But I just wanted to ask what some of your favourite books might have been as a young reader that inspired you. Um, I read a lot and it was partly because, okay, this is always sounds like I'm making it up, but I think people <laughs> find it interesting. Um, uh, although I also grew up in, in London in a house which really didn't even have any garden. My dad was an environmentalist. So, I mean, and actually I read a lot because the house didn't have a garden uh, um, because it was very urban. Um, but also my dad was an environmentalist. So he was chairman of the RSPB, which Royal Society for Protection of Birds. So it looked after birds and he was chairman of 
Kew Gardens, looked after plants after he retired. So what that meant was his heart was in the wilderness. So every year from when I was a baby, we'd be taken to this uninhabited island off the west coast of Scotland. We'd be dropped off by a local boatman and picked up again two weeks later. Nothing on the island, no houses, no electricity, no mobile phones back in the 1970s. So absolutely no way of contacting the outside world if something went wrong. This is the Isle of Burke. This is the Isle of Burke, really. Um, and that, was, that part of Scotland was the first place that the Vikings came to when they invaded Great Britain. It was the last place they left. So real Vikings lived on that island once upon a time. I know. Wow. So this is, and Vikings believed that dragons really existed. They thought they were real creatures. Um, so I started thinking, well, what if, the <laughs> what if the Vikings were right? I mean, it felt like the kind of place <laughs> that might have dragons in it, honestly. Stormbound. And from when I was nine, my dad had a house, one house, one house built on the island. It had no electricity. Um, and then we spent the whole summer from when I was nine on island in the middle of the ocean. In the middle of it, yeah. And he did get a boat at that. So at least then we could get off the island. And then we had to go out to sea to catch fish. And anyway, what I'm trying to tell you is if you're spending the whole summer on an island with no television on it, you read a lot of books because Scotland is not like Australia in the summer. <laughs> it certainly is not. Scotland is pretty rainy in the summer. <laughs> so I read a lot of books. I read lots of, I read sort of, um, I read sort of the more domestic books like ballet shoes and I don't know whether that's an Australian thing. Um, but I also read a lot of fantasy. I do fantasy. So Lord Rings, The Hobbit, um, Diana Wynne Jones. I adore oh. Diana Wynne Jones. Oh, she's marvelous. Love her. So wonderful. Yeah, Howl's Moving Castle. Yeah, oh my goodness. Um, uh, Wizard of Earthsea, Ursula Le Guin. She was another hero of mine, Ursula Le Guin. Wizard of Earthsea. Um, uh, so lots of fantasy. Um, what a reading list. Yeah. I was talking about Diana Wynne Jones just today, actually, because somehow. I loved Howl's Moving Castle growing up and somehow it had completely passed me by that there was a sequel to that book, uh, The House in Many Ways. I just didn't know. I did oh not know. That was... I don't think I've read that. Oh, I'm so I glad I'm alone. Oh, <laughs> that is really interesting. I will go back and, um, and, and find it. Actually, I ordered it today. As soon as I found out, you? I was like, well, I'm going to have to read it. Because actually, when I was little, although... Um, I didn't, I read oh, so much, but also quite a lot of it, people didn't buy as many books when I was little. So a lot yeah. of the books that I read was from the library. Um, you know, um, so, so, so yeah, so I don't think, I don't think maybe the library didn't have, so a lot of the Diana Wynne Joneses I was getting out from the library. Um, oh my goodness, I would go back and read that. The Ogre Downstairs was the one I adored of Diana Wynne uh. I there, love that one. Yeah, our, the power her, of three. Her books are amazing. Amazing. They're still amazing. They're still mm -hmm. the Ogden Stairs I read to my children, all three of them adored that one. Um, and it's wonderful when a book stands the test of time like that and you can still love it as an adult or read it aloud to your own children. Um, but also I read a lot of adult books very young because on the island it didn't have, you know, I ran out of the children's books. You had <laughs> so to move on to adults. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, 
so so I was quite unusual in that. <laughs> I was quite unusual in that. Um, and, and I often write about heroes who, who are a bit different from their peer group um, because I was a bit different. I mean, you know, as, a, as a teenager, I hadn't, I'd read a lot and I, didn't, I hadn't heard that. So I was a bit unusual, I think. And I didn't realise that teenagers are supposed to be cool and sort of stand back. They're not supposed to bounce up saying, hello, I'm Cressida. Have you read the Canterbury Tales? <laughs> It's not a good opening line in teen world. Um, <laughs> so I write a lot about protagonists who are a little bit different and, and try and are struggling to fit in. Because I think a lot of children in their different I think, way, yeah. Everyone at that age is trying to figure out who they are and is kind of, yeah. you know, experiencing a lot of self-doubt and yeah. comparing themselves to others. Okay. I mean, that's true of people of any age, but I think it's, everything's heightened when you're a little kid. So yeah, that's yeah. part of the reason your um, protagonists are so relatable, I think. <laughs> yeah, yes, I, I think so. And I get a lot of, and that this, this is hugely sort of rewarding as a, as, a, as a writer. I get a lot of letters from children or young adults even saying, because there's a lot of themes of bullying, um, particularly in How to Train Your Dragon, um, of children saying that their books have been really helpful to them. Um, oh, that's so, that's so nice. That is really rewarding yeah. um, to, to, you know, to, to feel that you've made a difference when a, a child was going through a difficult you know, part of their lives. Mm. Um, so even if they're not relating to children in their, in their peer group, in their class at the time, they can be relating to Hiccup or Wish or yes. Zara. Zara who doesn't, who, who Zara is one of the heroes of wisdom one and he he's a bit different in, you know he's got an attitudinal problem he's got a, he's a bit of a, but you know that's a problem for children as well i can relate to that children who are in trouble all the time it's hard you know so i love i love zara and wish but i think um my heart is a little bit more with wish yeah can't really explain why <laughs> um yeah it's really lovable but I don't, yeah. I'm just, having spoken to you about Never and Forever, now all I want to do is get my hands on it. Um, <laughs> I, have, I, think it's, yeah. I think it's out <laughs> soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how lucky I work at a bookstore. Um, we're, we're probably running short on time, but I, there was one last question I wanted to ask before we start wrapping things up. Uh, you mentioned about the How to Train Your Dragon movies? And I guess this yes. is a twofold question. So firstly, I'd love to know what the experience is like for you having your story and your characters that you know so well reinterpreted um, for the screen. And then I, as an addendum question, wanted to ask if there are plans for a screen adaptation of Wizards at Once. Yes. So I, I, I have had a an extremely positive experience with How to Train Your Dragon. And, and that doesn't always happen. <laughs> so I feel phenomenally lucky in, in, in what's happened because I am so proud of those three movies. Um, I just think that they are wonderful. Um, and I, I, I think 
oh, I've just been so lucky. I mean, the, 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 the director, um, Dean Dubois, you know, is the director of Lilo and Stitch, which was astonishingly an unusual movie for Disney at the time. And, um, you know, just incredible guy. And the producer, Bonnie Arnold, was the producer of Toy Story 1. You know, I mean, amazing people I've been working with. And all the, the artists who, you know, create the sets, you know, um, Pere Olivier Vincent, he, he does all the set. They're almost like, if you go there, they're just incredibly beautiful, those movies. Mm. And, you know, um, the guy who designed the character, you know, it, I've just been so lucky. I've, I think they're works of art. And although they are um, different from the books in some ways, because they were never going to write 12 movies. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to, and I didn't write the books. I, I don't think that books should ever become like screenplays. You know, yeah. books are different things. So I never wrote the books intending them to be made into movies. Um, uh, I think that they've been true to the things that I'm trying to say. So they've got, yeah. more, you know, they are book, they're for movies full of wonder. They're movies that make you laugh, that make you cry, that make you think, that got all the themes about the, the, the new kind of a leader who is a creator, Hiccup, who, and he's not just like, there's a macho, you know, let's punch problems kind of a person. He's a creative kind of, so all of those themes and the environmental themes about, you know, looking after the wild places of the world, everything is there in those movies, yeah. you know. Um, and God, when they finish with their, the opening lines of How to Train a Dragon are, there are dragons. There were dragons when I was a boy. When they got to that bit in the movie, I <laughs> just in <laughs> plants, you know. <laughs> yeah. Because that encapsulates it anyway. So it's been a wonderful experience. And I'm very, very close to Dean and Bonnie and the people at DreamWorks, all the people who made it. It was, I felt really part of, you know, it's, it's their movie because I don't think that, I think that, I, I suppose also it helped my attitude is that these are different things and, and the book world is complete in itself. It doesn't, doesn't need a movie. As it happens, the movies are great, are wonderful and they're also great entry points for kids. I get a lot of kids who are not necessarily from book reading families who then come in and, and they, they know it's worth their while to try a bit harder with the book and, and then they love, you know, so I'm getting, you know, so that's fantastic as well. So for me, the How to Train Your Dragon movie experience has been pretty overwhelmingly positive as a movie. Oh, so wonderful to so hear you say that. lucky. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, um, uh, and Wizards of Once is, as a result, although lots of people wanted to, you know, um, to, to buy the Wizards Once option, it's gone to DreamWorks again um, because right. I just had such a lovely, lovely time there, wonderful time. And, you know, it, it's in pre, I don't know what they call it. <laughs> I can't remember if it's pre-production or whatever. It takes a long time for a movie to, um, to come to the screen. It's yeah, you, I never it, understand it, the different stages. It's you so hear? interesting. It's <laughs> unexpected because I never, I always was, it was a book writer that I was going to be and that's where I am. And, um, but it's been really interesting seeing the process. I mean, my goodness, yeah. it's complicated. I mean, How to Train Dragon, they bought the rights, I think in 2004 or something, and it didn't come to the screen until 2010. You wow. know, it's such a big process. And... Yeah. And there is a certain 
it's 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 a a certain magic has to happen with a wonderful movie that you realize is that with a book you're in control completely it's all me you know it's i'm being the, i'm doing the sets i'm doing the, the voices the acting <laughs> i'm doing the i'm doing everything with a movie the ultimate director magic exactly with a, you have to have the wonderful director you have to have the glorious performances you have to have you know th those performances are just marvelous america ferraro and you know i mean i mean they're all wonderful gerard but i mean all wonderful all those actors and you have to have all of them but then you also have to have you know the lighting and everything has to be and so it's a lot to get all that in place to make a wonderful movie and you have to have huge amounts of i mean millions Money. of dollars as well <laughs> It's not just somebody going into their writing shed at the bottom of their garden, you know, with their HB pencil. <laughs> That's my financial outlay. <laughs> nice paper and my, my 3B pencils. Of my it's a big deal. And, and people have to really, I mean, I've got so much admiration for people in that business. It's given me so much love is put into it that people don't really and so now if i if i read a movie review even if it's not my own movie review and people are just dissing it and saying it's terrible i just think you have no idea the kind of heart <laughs> and the, the kind of thinking and the love that went into trying to make that movie it makes you very you know respectful emotional yeah i'm really pleased to hear that that there's going to be a DreamWorks adaptation. I'm a, I'm a fan of um, your, your books, the How to Train Your Dragon books, but I also do really love the movies. And I wondered, I've often wondered, you know, when I love anything that I love, if someone wants to retell it or remix it, I love the retelling and I love the remix. Like there's an endless amount. If I love something, I'll see it any which way someone wants to reinterpret it. I'm always, I'm always there. But I wonder if it's the same always for the creator. And it seems as though in this instance, it definitely was like a joy to see it remixed. I mean, it, it was a joy, but also I am aware that it, for lots of authors, it might not be, you know, I mean, I can imagine because I, you know, put a lot of myself, these are my heart projects. So it, I can understand mm. if an author doesn't like that would be, it would be very difficult. I mean, it would be kind of heartbreaking, <laughs> really. Hard. But mm. you know, I suppose. You, <laughs> um, but I suppose, you know, it, it, as you say, things can be made in different ways. Maybe there can be a play that then's made. You know, mm. it doesn't. I don't think it. Even though it would be a huge disappointment, it doesn't threaten the book. You know, I, I don't. I don't. That's think right. It, it takes nothing it, from it. it yeah. I don't think it takes anything from from it. I don't. If I see a bad movie adaptation of something, I don't then think, oh, the book isn't any good. I, you know, I mean, you know, Pride and Prejudice, it nah, must be rubbish. <laughs> it just completed a bad one. So, you know, uh, um, but I think it is difficult for all, it must be, I, I really feel for authors. Um, and also for the movie makers who, I think sometimes things, you know, th as I say, this magic has to happen, and sometimes it just doesn't quite. You know, things just don't yeah. come together. I think there is a from 
for when you read up about movies, there is a sort of something when people write about, I remember people reading about people writing about Star Wars. And when they were in it, the actors were thinking, this is going to be rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> they were in the eye of the suddenly, Exactly. And they, because they hadn't seen it, you know, they, they were just talking to Chewbacca, you know, it's like I was saying, yeah, oh, this is going to be silly. But actually, when it was out there with the music and, the, oh, you know, I remember seeing that for the first time in the cinema when I was about, I can't remember, I was little, and he was like, oh, wow, in a country, in a sort of place far, far away. I don't know, it was amazing. So, or even Casablanca, I think they didn't realise. They were making it up as they go look, get, went along. They didn't realise how good it was going to be. So... It's, there's think, something a bit magical that goes along with the hard work. I think it's a combination. You can work really, really hard on something and maybe it doesn't come together, but yeah. when it does, there's some magic, magic there. Yeah. 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 And I think I've certainly everything I've ever read of yours has that magic at its heart. I think that's why it's why the, your, your stories are so loved. And um, it's why I can't wait to know what you're going to do next. <laughs> I'm um, <laughs> Me too. very excited for the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I've taken so much of your time. And so I, I will let you go. But I just wanted to say it has been delightful talking to you, Kressera. And um, thank you so much. Well, it's been absolutely lovely talking to you too. I've really enjoyed it. And I hope you, I hope you enjoy Wizards of Once Never and Forever. As much oh as my I gosh. I have little doubt that I will. Um, and I know I will. <laughs> um, and for all the people listening, um, you can get Never and Forever, book four, and the final book in the Wizards of Want series, and all of Cressida's amazing backlist from a local bookstore or online at Bookopia. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au